Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And what a blessing it is to be here, saints together before the throne of God, on this week when we celebrate the victory of all victories. And Jesus Christ our Lord gave himself. Wow. Gave himself on behalf of each one of us. On behalf of the plan that the Father in heaven has for us. And opened up the fullness of the of the will of the Heavenly Father for anyone who would be willing to accept and follow. He is the way. He is the only way. He is the truth, the only truth, and the only way to life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. And I am so grateful, and I know that all of us who are born again, who are following after the Lord to, to serve him as saints, I'm so grateful that God has given us this privilege. And one of the things that the Lord has emphasized so strongly in me since the past couple of days is the, the broader aspect of what the resurrection means. And we want to talk about that just a little bit today. But before we do, <clears throat> I want to remind all of you that this coming Saturday is First Saturday. And should be a directive that's being sent to all of our saints' family uh, to remind us of the privilege we have of praying together uh, on the first Saturday of April. This is something that the Lord initiated. We did our best to obey many years ago. And uh, on the first Saturday of every month, saints from around the world <clears throat> gather together in a point of agreement. Um, you know, we pray every day. It's not like that's the only time we pray. We pray in diversities of tongues. We, we uh, are sensitive to hear what the Spirit is saying to his ecclesia. That's a daily uh, opportunity and blessing for all the saints. But to be united as a, as, a, as a testimony, as a prophetic offering, on the first Saturday of every month where we, we make a... Uh, a commitment before the throne of God to do the work that God has given us. Uh, it, it is a privilege and an honor. And so on this particular first Saturday is the first Saturday of the fourth month, which is a fast of feasting regimen where we, we ask God to remove the things that we have honored that are things of mourning and things of, of um, um, measures where we remember thing, aspects of our history that are painful and we almost memorialize them. People are prone to do that. We need to shake free from that. I mean, we really do. Uh, some people think that they honor the memory of the dead or they honor a memory of something that came under attack by memorializing it every year. And in Zechariah, we're very clearly told that God is tired of that. If we're going to align ourselves with the Lord of hosts and the armies of the Lord, we have to stop doing that. And in its place, we have to fast that and feast on the goodness of the Lord. Now, this isn't a teaching about that today, but it is the first Saturday of the fourth month, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth. They all commemorated 
challenging points in the Jewish mindset of when Jerusalem was defeated and um, uh, people were carried away into captivity. Uh, th that became a yearly, in every one of those months, a, a downer, as it were, almost like holidays of despair. And God said, stop it. Some of you may be doing that in your own life, and it, it's, it's doing you no good. Maybe you celebrate in some morbid type of way the death of someone you knew. or I mean, you're not honoring them, honestly. They're gone. They're either with the Lord or somewhere else. You can't do anything to help them now. Yes, you can cherish the good things they did. You can cherish the memories of, of them. But memorializing not only the fact that they're gone, but in some certain ways, complaining about how they went. And if we're not really careful, we're complaining to God that he didn't come through and keep them here. You got to get done with that. It does no one any good. In fact, it holds you back. And this is what God said about those months the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th. And instead, we say, I surrender the past and I press forward with rejoicing toward the Tob purpose of God. And this kind of a, of a proactive, prophetic stance puts us in a position to partner with God. And so the fourth month is upon us <laughs> it'll be here tomorrow and the first saturday of april is a tremendous time you know some of you are trapped in the mindset of covid uh, and you you walk around in despair and you feast off the news media thinking about the the next surge that's coming but yeah here we are we're blessed we're looking forward to the victory of the Lord. You need to shake that stuff off. Listen, whether it's COVID or whatever it is, the world and the world system is going to try to get you to bow down to it and to be in despair and to be hopeless. Be done with that and let's look to the Lord. So whether it's uh, some mindset that you may have where you live in despair over the death of a loved one or live over in despair over how someone hurt you or how you were deprived in in your perceptions you got to get rid of that and go forward and arguably it's not it's an easy thing to do but it's not an easy thing to do because there's always a knocking at the door of your memory trying to say hey let's let's contemplate this again and you know what? It feels good in some sordid way to think those thoughts. It's like they, those thoughts of bitterness can become your drinking buddy. They can become your best friend and your, your soulish capacity and your mind really wants to accept that that you know the mind which is at enmity with the things of the spirit wants that and then you look for people who will sing the chorus of despair with you and it feels it, it, it i would say it feels good but it's it's a strange blanket a filthy blanket of comfort shake it off get free of it, it it'll do you no good it will it'll do you no good it's 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 horrible and so we we've got to break free from that and we have to look forward to what god is wanting from us and that is a partnership with him and uh, to to align ourselves with his eternal will his tobe his good purpose and we sh we should speak that truth in the gates to our neighbors um that's what the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th month. It's kind of a regulatory thing. It's kind of a check. It's not, not just, you know, 
yes, you have to continue to die to that kind of thing. Even if you overcome it, it can reemerge just like bad weeds in the garden of your heart. And you you have to you have to snip you have to as Barney said, you have to nip it in the bud. You you have to nip it right then. You can't just coddle it and say, Oh yes, I remember. Uh it it's gotta go. And so the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth uh months are are kind of they're, they're indicative of monthly celebrations way back when. But they also help us to say, maybe we need to search our own hearts and make sure that none of those types of things are happening in our lives because they will, they will be damnable effects. And we can't have that happen. Now, it, it comes at a perfect time this fourth month, the first Saturday of the fourth month, because it is in the, um, in the time of Christ's passion where we're celebrating the fact that he had died for our sins, but he had not yet risen. And it brings to the forefront the whole idea of the power of the resurrection because people were mourning uh, way back when when Christ was in the grave um, they were like the men on the road to Emmaus they were greatly troubled and when Jesus met them he said why do you why are you troubled why why are you casting these things about these were followers we don't know their names. They obviously knew the disciples because uh, they were aware of everything that had gone on in, in Jerusalem. And as soon as their hearts burned within them and the Lord disappeared from them, they hightailed it back to Jerusalem and told the disciples what they'd seen. So they, they knew. They knew enough of the inner workings. Now, these guys probably also were aware of the fact that Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to rise again. And, and that really brings us to the power of the resurrection. It, it really does. To me, the power of the resurrection does grant us victory in the spirit realm. And it, and it does show us the way of believing for anything uh, that God promises and to be assured that God is going to honor his promises. The power of the resurrection is believing that even though it looks like that promise of God is dead, it will live. The power of the resurrection is hope when there seems to be no hope. The power of the resurrection is believing when everything around you says you need to stop believing. The power of the resurrection looks to life when death is obviously in front of you. And to me, that's the true power of the resurrection. Because if the power of the resurrection just means snapping your the fingers of faith and saying, okay, death, you get out of here. That removes faith. It removes walking through the valley. It removes that needing to stand. And when you've done all to stand, stand there for and believe. You see, the power of the resurrection does not remove challenges from us. It guarantees the victory of God. But the challenge is a key to the journey with God. You see, um, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. If the power of the resurrection is some immediate answer in the natural, then where is our faith? 
And whatever's without faith is sin. You see, faith is not some immediate point of natural provision. Faith is walking with God, though everything in our sight says that we're done for, but yet we believe. So the key measure of the power of the resurrection is to be able to look the grave or the sacrifice in the face. And even though you might be uh, languishing in a challenge of the moment, yet you believe and yet you trust Like Job said, though he slay me, though it appears that I'm being slain by him, yet will I trust him. That is the power of faith. And that's, the, to me, the essence of the resurrection. Now, let's, let's talk about some aspects of the New Testament that speak about the resurrection And let's candidly look at some verses that will help us to understand this a bit more clearly. And one of the ones that we chose to highlight today is found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. And here we are in this chapter um, that seems to go back and forth between the Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to test Jesus. Now, let's talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees for a moment. Uh, These two were the two preeminent groups in, um, in Judaism during the time of Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees populated the Sanhedrin. And it is said that on the Sanhedrin, the the Sadducees greatly outnumbered the Pharisees, but in real life, the Pharisees basically governed the majority of the people. And um, the Sadducees were made up of largely of people who were more wealthy, people who were politically uh, aligned. And the Pharisees had individuals who were of note, but they were more uh, the common folk. And there was that balance of power. Now, the Sadducees believed only in the written Torah, The Pharisees believed in the written Torah, but also extrapolations. In other words, verbal, uh, oral tradition that that they felt protected the written Torah. And, And so, whenever you see the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sadducees held to the Scripture, but the Pharisees held to the scripture plus the uh, the added points of belief surrounding the scripture that then also brought about a lot of regulations and a lot of fences that were supposedly going to protect the purity of the word. And so by the time it came to Jesus, those things that I just said are true. You know, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes, they characterize the um, the Sadducees as Manasseh, and they characterize the Pharisees as Ephraim. Now, that's just an added point. But um, the Sadducees then didn't believe in, quote, the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in um, spirits, and they they also didn't believe in in really an afterlife, that we were simply on earth 
to serve the written will of God. And once that was over, life was over, it was over. Now, the Pharisees, they believed in angels. They believed in the extended testimonies that attended to the word. They, you see, it's, it's really a strange, it's a strange thing, and I'm not here to give a class on Sadducees and Pharisees, but the, the Sadducees could see angels in the Old Testament scripture, but they believed that they were simply messages and, or, or the personification of something that came from God on behalf of his scripture. But they didn't really believe that angels were anything other than that. Anything other than an enunciation from God of his written word. And they were kind of one-offs. The angels didn't exist as angels. They were truly messengers of the written law. And once that was that manifestation from God enunciated that, that was the end of them. It's kind of a strange, it's kind of a strange thing. But, you know, we have that today. You have people who populate churches, who are active politically, who have lots of money. They go and they show up to church. They carry the Bible, but they don't really believe that what the Bible says is for today. They don't believe in manifestations. They don't believe in the angelic. They don't believe, they believe that everything that's written in the scripture was a one-off and it was done. So we understand that today, but we don't understand the Sadducees. And they really are the same type of thing. Then you've got people that believe in scripture um, they're a strange brand of Christians who have lots of restrictions and lots of um, lots of rules and regulations. They they'll fight for the Scripture. They they will stand politically for the things that that are are there, whether it's right to life or whatever. But you talk about the Holy Spirit moving, oh. You talk about a visitation of angels, well, these people need counseling. You talk about demons, oh, no. There's nothing that a demon manifests that could not be solved by a Valium. And so you've got the Pharisees who say they believe in the things of the Spirit, but when it comes down to the real thing, if there are miracles happening, they want to stop it. They want to stop it now. They want to stop it yesterday. Because somehow that kind of thing can upset the whole apple cart of the structure they put around the world. word. So Pharisees and Sadducees, they live today just in other trappings. So you have, um, you have the Sadducees coming before the Lord in Matthew 22. And um, in verse 23, we begin reading. <coughs> the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And, uh, and, and so what they mean by there is no resurrection. See, all this talk of resurrection before the cross, what was that? What, what does the Sadducees really mean when they say there is no resurrection? Well, resurrection there, anastasis or anastasia, means to rise up out of the histeme. And, and it really meant that there is, there is nothing after this life that you will rise into uh, there is no further demonstration of life um, outside of what we see in the natural. And once life is over, it's over. And 
for them, that was the resurrection. Now, the Pharisees believed that once you died, you you either ended up in a bad place or in a good place. They had they had levels of of uh, of the afterlife, and um, so they believed in a resurrection. But it was all about this issue of whether there were spirits, whether there were angels, and whether there was really a life after this life. And that's the argument about the resurrection for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It wasn't, you know, you have to know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not at all preparing themselves for a discussion of whether Jesus rose from the dead after three days. You have to know that. Neither one of them really were were wanting the Lord Jesus to do anything in regard to that. So when, when you see the Sadducees talking about a resurrection, here they... They are trying to trick Jesus in a roundabout way to start talking in Pharisee language so that they could not only debunk him, but also debunk the Pharisees. What the the Sadducees are going to ask here, they don't believe in. This, This business of, you know, if a man die having no children, his brother marries his wife and raises up seed unto his brother... And there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother, likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be she be of the seven? For they all had her. The Pharisee, the, the Sadducees didn't believe any of that. This was like a joke. This was because they didn't believe in an afterlife. They, they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a life after this current life. So they're really offering something that in their own discussions, mocking the Pharisees, they would, you know, this guy dies and then his brother takes the wife and you know, through seven of them, one wife for seven brothers. It could have been a play on Broadway. This was a mocking joke of the Sadducees, because they didn't believe any of it. They didn't believe there. They didn't believe there would actually be a discussion about whose wife would this be. Do you recognize this? So in verse twenty-nine, Jesus answered and said, "You are in error." You don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, that is a cutting word to the Sadducees, since the most important and basically the only thing they prided themselves on was knowing the scripture. It was the only thing they believed. The Pharisees believed in the scripture, but they believed in lots of other things, too. So, when Jesus says, you're in error you really don't know the scripture or the power of God, he was hitting them right where they believed. He bypasses the mocking riddle that they didn't really believe in to begin with, and he cuts right to the heart of scripture. Now it's getting serious. Now it's getting serious. And Jesus says in verse 30, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished, at his doctrine. What did Jesus say to them? 
He went to the scripture and he said, you people who say you believe, you first of all say you're children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and you say you believe the scripture, but you don't believe in life after death. Well, what do you do about the scripture that says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? How can God be the God of somebody who's died and is no more? Do you see that? So Jesus cuts right to the heart of, 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 the, of the Sadducees. He bypasses the riddle and goes right into the scripture and hits them at the heart of what they falsely believed in the scripture. And but 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 he talks about in the resurrection. They don't marry or they're not given in marriage, but as are as the angels of God in heaven. There he validates the angelic. There he validates a life after this death in God, where we are functioning as spirit beings. And, you know, it really is a phenomenal legal scriptural maneuver. But the term resurrection is there. Anastasis. And it, and it really does speak to the histemi. That's the word. And it speaks to what we are supposed to be as eternal beings with God. It's, it, now, they could not be sons at this point because that did not happen until Jesus sacrificed himself and made possible us becoming joint heirs with the Mashiach, the, with, with Christ. I mean, that did not happen in, in, in any way until that perfect sacrifice was done. But the talk of the resurrection was something that was a part of the vernacular of the people long before, low in the grave he lay, up from the grave he arose. For Jesus, he's talking about resurrection, and, and he's talking to these Sadducees and in the ears of the Pharisees, and he's saying the resurrection includes spirit realm in partnership with, with what God's eternal plan is in his systemic for our lives and for the earth and for eternity. The resurrection includes us being with God as basically saints for eternity. The, the resurrection entails that we have hope to keep serving the will and the purpose of God throughout eternity. That is the resurrection. Do you see that? So, in a few minutes, we're going to be reading some scriptures after Jesus rose from the dead. But the concept of the resurrection does not change. <laughs> when, when Peter and Paul are talking resurrection in the synagogues, these same yahoos who are arguing the resurrection with Jesus, that's what they're thinking. And the power of the resurrection really means these things that you're talking about regarding the spirit realm, regarding the angels, regarding um, that this life is not all there is, and that the histemis of God through the power of the cross now can come to... Uh, a greater dimension of application and fulfillment. See, it's all still about the resurrection. What Jesus did in sacrificing himself on that stau histeme, the cross, and what Jesus did in those days in paradise, and what Jesus did in, um, 
in, in his triumph over death and hell and the grave, that just empowered the resurrection. It empowered the spirit realm for us. Do you see that? So when, when we're talking about the power of the resurrection, it's not some mystical thing that just happened when the stone rolled away and the clothing, the death clothes are folded up and the angel saying, he's not here but is risen. That's magnificent. But the concept of the resurrection was in the vernacular of the people of God and in the mind of God long before that moment. Do you see this? And here Jesus is having this discussion. Even when, um, oh, and let's, let's, before we move out of Matthew 22, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together and said, okay, it's our turn. Right before this Sadducee uh, temptation, the Pharisees with the Herodians were at it about money and taxes. So, you know, it was, it was a really strange deal. Um, but for, for us, the resurrection was a big discussion amongst the Pharisees and the Sadducees long before the cross. Um, and even Mary and Martha at, uh, at Lazarus' uh, tomb, you know, Jesus said, your brother is not dead, but he'll live. And, and the comment from the sister said, well, we know that in the resurrection he will live. <laughs> so there again is this discussion of this concept of resurrection and afterlife and, you know, the vitality of this life not being all there is. Um Let's, let's look at some other verses. Uh, let's go to John chapter 5. I didn't put an outline together because, you know, you're obviously sitting here with the Word and we're just, we're just talking. This isn't a full-blown methodical teaching, obviously. John chapter 5, verse 28 Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. What is Jesus talking about? The resurrection of the good and the resurrection of the evil, and then he links it with him not doing anything on his own, but only the will of the Father that sends it, sent him? What's he talking about? Well, it's this issue that says the law of resurrection is some folks are going to do good in the histemi that they've been given. Some folks are not going to do good in honoring the histemi identity. And then Jesus says immediately in the same breath, I, in my own self, do not determine whether I'm doing good or wrong. I only do the will of the Father who sends me. Here is the key to understanding where you're going to be in this discussion of the resurrection. <laughs> do you see this? People dead are either going to be resurrected to life or resurrected to evil. 
based upon what they do in conjunction with the Heavenly Father as sons or denying that role in accordance with the histeme that they've been given. That is a discussion of resurrection. I mean, you wouldn't get very far preaching about the power of the resurrection. You see, people preach that and they're only looking at it from Boom, boom, let's do something. Let's see the glory. But here Jesus says, there's going to be a resurrection of people that are, uh, are evil. What does that mean? To see the, see, the heart of the resurrection is you doing the will of the Father, trusting him, believing him, partnering with the Hestemi, because that's the essence, Anastasia that's the essence. Hestemi is, uh, stasis is the, the functionality and the stand of hystemi. The, the resurrection is you either honoring what the Father is saying for you to do in the power of the hystemi or not doing it. So the resurrection can go both ways. These are the words of Jesus. Do you see this? I hope you do. John 11. Oh, it's good to hear the rustling of the leaves. <laughs> That's what preachers used to say when people were turning in their Bibles. It took them a little time. You don't want any dead time. You know, you don't want any dead time on the mic. John 11, verse 25. And here's this discussion at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus says unto her, I am the resurrection and the zoe. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection, not I will be the resurrection or not I'm going to rise again. I am the resurrection. What does he mean by and the zoe, the life? Well, he's, he's really going back to what was said just a few chapters before. I am depicting for you a son of the Most High God who does what the Father says and who fulfills the histemi identity of his life before God and in the places where he has appointed me to serve. I am depicting the resurrection. I am manifesting the resurrection. And because I am, life is possible. Do you see that? How could Jesus be the resurrection before what we classify as the one and only resurrection? How can that be? Is Jesus borrowing from a treasury of merit that's coming? Is he is he is he is the resurrection on layaway? <laughs> well, I haven't really done it yet, but I am it now. Yeah, there's a lot of people who try to do that, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I can, I'm all, I'm all hat, no cattle. You know, I'm really this, but I'm really not. How could he be the resurrection and the life before he actually did it in that post-Calvary experience? So he's talking here about the resurrection. And he's going to call Lazarus forth before the cross and the resurrection. So where's that power come from? Again, is he borrowing from the future? How can that be? You know, you, you could make sense. Of course, this wouldn't work in the timeline. If he was doing this after he rose from the dead, 
you know, you think about this too. When Jesus died at the cross, and all of a sudden there was an earthquake and uh, the veil of the temple was rent and saints are popping up out of the grave. It's a, it's a Middle Eastern zombie movie, but they're, they're alive. How can that be before the resurrection? He hadn't risen yet. See, these are kind of mind twisters that we really have to gain, um, we have to gain a grasp on because Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. God appointed this situation with Lazarus to demonstrate the glory of God. You know, we, we have... Uh, you know, Jairus' daughter. Uh, we have, you know, there are others who were risen, who were brought back from the dead, um, and those manifest the 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 power of God in a unique way. But the the aspect of the resurrection is a living reality. The aspect of the resurrection was operative in Jesus' life long before this Lazarus episode and certainly before the cross and the, uh, the, 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 the resurrection morning when the stone was rolled away. So again, I'm saying that the resurrection really means I'm partnering with God according to what he's put in me I am uh, in the estemi in my life. I'm partnering with God in where he's sending me. And through that obedient partnership, I am generating the zoe of God. I am invigorating the estemi. Now, when Christ gave himself on the cross, he made this possible for all of us. He made this possible for all of us. See, he was the example. Jesus knew no sin. He was the one that was showing us what we were to be as sons. And we should be now, through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his cross, we should be the resurrection. Because the resurrection is raising up the histeme on behalf of the will of the Father. Do you see that? This is just what the scripture says. This isn't me preaching some bizarre doctrine. I am not taking away from what happened after uh, Calvary. What I'm saying is that that gift and that sacrifice, what did it depict? It depicted what Christ's histeme was. It depicted that this precious, holy sinless Son of God did exactly what the Father had asked him to do. And the enemy tried to come and destroy him, but because of that illegal activity, paradise, captivity was led captive, and we gained back the right and the privilege through that payment on the cross to move about in our histeme, to fulfill the will of the Father from the right hand, and to really be, as Christ, a resurrection testimony and a resurrection manifestation, partnering with the angels, partnering on the life that is to come. Do you see that? All right. I hope we do. Um, let's look at Acts chapter 4. There's a lot of verses we could look at. Now, this is obviously after... Um, after Jesus had risen and ascended into heaven. Acts 4, verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Let's look at this. 
with great dunamis, which was a functionality, was a depiction of what God had said. The apostles were marturia. They were living this. They were demonstrating what? The resurrection of the Lord. And they were all demonstrating that power of grace, which was a partnership with God and a looking forward to the new that God was wanting to do. So here you have the apostles through what Jesus did now being agents of resurrection. Now, what most of us think that what they did was, and, and they did test, they did speak of the fact that Jesus had risen. It, it, I mean, it just did happen. It was a notable thing. But this wasn't just them standing on the corner and saying, He is risen. He is risen. It wasn't just that. It was them, Marturia, demonstrating a Marturia of resurrection. And it was them moving in grace, megas grace. Now, once again, I'm telling you what we've been looking at already, and there are a lot of other examples, is discussion of the resurrection prior to Calvary and, and defining by Jesus what resurrection is and speaking uh, about the faulty, um, the faulty viewpoint amongst the Sanhedrin about resurrection. We see that the cardinal division between the Sadducees and Pharisees was not just about money and political power. It was about this concept of resurrection. Uh, my old Welsh pastor who's since died and gone to be with the Lord used to say the Sadducees didn't believe in the things of the Spirit, which made them sad, you see. Well, it was much more than that. It was this concept of resurrection. And the Pharisees believed it. The Sadducees didn't. And even then, you remember from the epistles, or, or for Paul's journeys, there was one point that he was brought up and he was, you know, he was talking about the, the sacrifice of Christ and him being the Messiah and his uh, victory at the cross and how he rose again and they were wanting to beat him and he stood up there recognizing that there was a good population of both Sadducees and Pharisees and he said, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees and I am brought into question concerning my belief in the resurrection. And suddenly, they, those factions started fighting against themselves and Paul was sprung free. So this issue of the resurrection was a major talking point. And it really is for us today because there are people who say they're Christians, and I, only God knows whether they are or not. I'm not judging them one way or another. But they say they believe the word, but they don't believe any of the power of the word. They don't believe there's any move of the Spirit. They don't believe that there are visitations of angels. They don't believe that we can pray and be uh, honoring God before the throne. Uh, they, they don't believe in any of that. And then you have people who, who are, there's lots of different kinds of Pharisees. There are people who say they believe in these things, but put together lots of oral tradition. Oh, but, you know, you don't want to go too far into that because people go wacky and it splits churches. So we're going to make oral rules that defend the purity of this scripture, but we're not going to see any of the power of it. But then you have other kinds of Pharisees who say, oh, well, this, this guy over here, he just had big revival meetings in Lakeland, and he's talking about 15 different thrones and God having a throne in his bathroom, and he, he got that from some wacko prophet that was over here. And, you know, so we, we believe in the Scripture, but we're also adding this oral tradition. There's all kinds of Pharisees. Of course, now there are people who are kind of progressive Pharisees, they say, oh, yes, we believe most of the Bible, 
But we also believe the Buddha and Hindus and uh, uh, all these other religions, they, they also have words. So we're, we're going to add to the scope of these things because we don't want to be dualistic. You know, we, we want to be say and and yes, and we want to open it. We deal with the same things today, but the issue is the resurrection. Do you really believe that you have a calling of God in your life uh, to partner with him now and that the power of the cross will enable you to go and represent his kingdom, to partner with the angels, to see the word of God come alive and the kingdom come and you function in this life but in the life to come as well? Do you really believe that? Did Jesus make that possible for you? Then you're moving in resurrection power. You deny the resurrection? Well, that means, yeah, we believe the word, but none of that stuff. You're just kooky. You know, you're just, you're, you're wacky. You know, you, you may be demonized. If you praying in unknown tongues, oh, I don't know. I got to check in my spirit about that. You know, it's, it's, it's demonic. It's, I know it's demonic. I knew somebody one time who did that, and they went out and killed five people. Really? Oh, yeah, we got to keep that out of the church. It's amazing. This resurrection business is, um, yes, it does speak of us having eternal life, but it's much more about what we're doing now in conjunction with a partnership with the Heavenly Father through Christ's sacrifice and victory. And what we're doing with his STEMI now, that's the resurrection power. <laughs> that's the resurrection power. See, these disciples were functioning under an anointing that Jesus gave them, uh, a Tetheme anointing. When, when, he, when, when they walked with him, he would anoint them and send them out and the 70 would come back and they'd say this and they'd say that. But once he died and rose again, they were moving in resurrection power. They were then able to do it because they could go to the Father. They were then born again sons. They could minister with the angelic. They could be before the right hand of God as John was and be caught up into, into heaven. They could be like Paul who was caught up into the third heaven. Do you see that? Let's look at one other passage. I know we're going, we're going to go past time with this, but that's okay. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul talking about here? Well, let's just dispel one of the possibilities. He's not saying, oh, I got to live a good life because I want to make sure that when I stand at Chile Jordan that I can make my way across. The boatman is coming. I want to have the fare to get across. That's not what he was saying. Nowhere does Paul preach that kind of nonsense. He was not saying, you know, I just want to make sure that I don't screw up this life and miss out going to heaven. What's he say here? That I may know him. I want to know him. I want to, I want to, what Jesus talked about, you know, one day people will come and they'll say, Lord, did we not cast out demons and work miracles? And he said, I never knew you. Depart from me. I want to know him. I want to be known of him. I want, I want to be there at the throne of God, at the right hand where he is seated. And, and I want to be discussing and speaking of the mysteries of God and accepting my role divinely appointed in that 
power of eternal life. I, w- I want that. I want to know him and the power, the, the functionality of his resurrection and the fellowship, the koinonia of the things that I'm going to have to go through and we all have to go through things. Thank God we go through them and don't just stay there. The, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, that we would be willing to give everything we are, everything that is needed, so that we can say to our Father, I have done all that I, that I know I should do. Um, Abba, I, I, I am devoted to you, and I am... Uh, I'm willing to go the full distance, even unto death, even unto death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. If by any means, what does that mean? That even though it looks as if he slay me, yet shall I live. It was Friday, and Jesus was sacrificed. But Sunday was coming. We are not defeated. We trust God. We walk by faith and not by sight. And even even when even when uh, I've done everything that I know to do, and it looks like I have exhausted every measure. Verse 10 of Philippians 3. If any means possible, I'm going to attain unto the fulfillment of what God wants for me in the spirit realm and in eternal existence in the midst of that seeming death. Does that make sense? You see, we have to view the totality well, maybe not the totality, but because there's so much. But we have to recognize that this business of the resurrection didn't just originate when he was in the grave. This was a talking point for the Jews throughout the Old Testament. Well, maybe not throughout all of the Old Testament. Uh, when the Sanhedrin and the, and the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees really mean to be set apart that's, that's what the word means, to be set apart. <laughs> and the Sadducees were to follow somebody named Zadok. And they, uh, but the main striking point was about resurrection. <laughs> and, and Jesus just nails them. He said, you know, we read this scripture. He said, you're asking me this riddle trying to trick me. But I'm going to go right to the heart of what you do believe. How can you say there's no resurrection when your scriptures say God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How can he be a God of all three of those at once if once uh, once, uh, Jacob was alive and God was the God of Jacob, Isaac and Abram are dead? How can God say he's the God of them? So it was this whole issue of uh, eternal functionality with God. And that's the power of the resurrection. It was granted to us because through Jesus fulfilling the will of God completely, the sinless sacrifice, he made possible his cross and he made possible our ability to go before God as born-again, redeemed sons. And then we can move in the power of the resurrection. And we can be martyria of that because of Jesus' sacrifice. But it wasn't just, you know, it's just like the name of Jesus. You know, the sons of Sceva went out and they're trying to cast out Jesus names and Jesus, demons in Jesus' name. Having the knowledge of the name doesn't mean you have the power of the name. And talking about the resurrection doesn't mean you're functioning in the resurrection. 
We've really talked about a lot of stuff today. You're going to have to listen to this again. Uh, Luke, Luke is going to have to study this for many hours. But it's the truth. So the power of the resurrection this week, as we, um, as we rejoice at Christ's sacrifice, the power of the resurrection is that Jesus gave himself so that we might walk in that functionality of the resurrection, in service to our Father. And um, that no matter what things look like, the will of the Father is going to be done. Uh, even though it may look like the promise of what you are supposed to be before God, even though it may look like it's dead, well, remember, if that seed has died, life springs from it. And what God says is going to happen will happen. To me, the power of the resurrection is you functioning in, in partnership with the Father in the spirit realm. And the power of the resurrection is you being confident that whatever God says, you're going to do, and he's going to fulfill his will. And the vitality of Jesus rising from the dead is a testament of the will of the Father. How much greater can that be? He made it possible for us to move in this identity of the resurrection. And, and through that, nothing can stand in our way. So that's how the apostles could martyria this and move in great grace and partnership. See, it all makes sense. But if we don't grasp that true measure of what resurrection is, to raise up in the midst of an esteme, in our lives and in the place the Father sends us, in conjunction with the angelic and in conjunction with heaven and eternal life, if, if, we, if, we don't, if we don't understand that that's really what resurrection means, we're going to miss out. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll make this very clear to all of us. Yes, we celebrate the victory of our Lord Jesus. Yes, we thank him forevermore for giving himself so that we might move with the Heavenly Father in partnership in this way. And, and I, I join with the saints' family in asking you to help us to fulfill the power of the resurrection in the ways of your choosing in the days to come. I speak blessing over all of our saints' family today. And I look forward to continuing to serve you with them. Let the rest of this week be a wonderful time in you. And we thank you for all of this. For we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. Well, thanks for joining today. And uh, don't forget First Saturday Prayer this weekend. And we will look forward to the next time we can be together. Until then, God bless and goodbye.